The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Well, this week on the uh, Why Me Project podcast, or as I like to call it, Holly and Friends, we have uh, Adam Shevsky, my friend. How are you? Oh, great. And it's so fun to be with you both. I say Holly and Friends because Holly, who said, oh, by the way, I also heard this guy, Adam, and he's amazing. We should get him on the show. Totally. Oh, (laughs) that's what happened again. (laughs) It's like every podcast. This is how it just begins. I introduced somebody pretty cool, and uh, I get very curious about their story. And Mm -hmm. I heard your interview with Lori because I was sitting right next to her on 700 Club. And Mm -hmm. that interview airs this week, so you can check it out online as well, where you talk about the incredible ministry you're in. But Mm -hmm. I know people don't get into ministries like this unless they have their own story. So here you are. I'm pumped. I am too. I'm excited to answer the question, why me? But also just to get, get to know both of you a little bit better. So lead the way. Not many people (laughs) ask us a ton of questions. So if you feel like you need to ask us questions too, you are more than welcome to. We may, we may deflect. Um, first one, it's the hardest one that you're going to get. It is our skill testing question. And that is Adam, who are you and where did you come from? Yeah. Well, obviously my name is Adam Shepsky and, um, I grew up in Listowel, Ontario. So you might know it's, it's a show called Letter Kenny, but, um, so yeah. So Jared, who is the writer, director, producer of that is a childhood friend of mine. So just that will give you context to where I grew up, right? So just a very rural farming community. Um, yeah. And then lived there until I was married. And um, yeah, so my whole childhood grew up there. Yeah. Lovely. I love that name drop. I was like, yes, right? I know that show. My it, husband watches this, it all the time. Well, it's just one of those things that helps paint a little bit of the picture. When I share a little bit more of my story, you're like, okay, so like rural, rural Ontario, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like it's um, very much our, our high school had a hall actually called at the time. This is, you know, a couple decades ago now, but it was actually called Hick Hall <laughs> because all the guys and girls would, who were raised on far- farms would actually drive their snowmobiles or four wheelers to school. Um, so it's just like, and then all of us like towny kids were like, I don't know what to do with any of this because I don't do chores at all. So <laughs> just, it's a bit of context to like, yeah, how did, how did the Lord move in my life and all that kind of stuff? So yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm. you grow up in a, in a small town where there's more cows than there are people. Yep. What was life like growing up in air quote? Hicktown. I loved it. Like, um, <clears throat> it was actually really neat because my dad was a banker, mom, the teacher. So through this whole thing, they were actually driving through Listowel when I was just a young, young boy, like just a couple years old. And I'm, they, they stopped at a stoplight. And I remember my mom would always tell me this story where she would actually, when they stopped, she just was like, I just, it was one of the times where I just heard God's voice and mm-hmm. said to her, like, you're going to raise your family here. And she was like, huh? And just like middle of nowhere. And sure enough, my dad ended up getting a job, um, a bank transfer to Listable. And so growing up in Listable was like, it was amazing because it was a small enough community that you knew everyone, but being so like kind of in the proximity to Kitchener, Waterloo, and then Toronto, there was enough opportunity to actually like for jobs, for sports, all that kind of stuff. So um, we had a pretty great like hockey community 
um, junior B level. So you had a lot of different opportunities that at least for a small town community helped you to think bigger than just mm-hmm. a small, very rural community. So there's some really neat um, things, really good sense of community um, felt really healthy um, for a number of different reasons. So interesting because your mom being a teacher there. So I was reading an article that was saying that those who have parents who are in the medical field, who are in the accounting field or in the teaching field, your mm-hmm. kids are most likely going to follow that education. Was mm-hmm. you being a teacher? Was that something that you ever thought that you wanted to be or where was your heart when you graduated? This is, this is all part of it. So when I, um, like, so my parents introduced me, primarily my mom introduced me to some faith in Jesus stuff at a young age. Um, so by the time I was in high school and actually starting to go, okay, what is it that I'm on the planet to do? Right. Like I, mm-hmm. um, I always had a deep sense of purpose, but I had no idea what that was. Right. And we weren't a like solid church going family. It wasn't an every Sunday thing. So, um, you know, like we grew up in different parts, different youth activities, youth groups, different church activities, but not, not solidly connected. So um had no idea that there was even I knew about a Bible, but didn't know that it had it both an old and the New Testament, like just that kind of I just had no idea around anything faith related. Um So through that all high school, I was like, oh, what am I going to do in my future? And I had no idea maybe had a little bit of a desire to be, be some form of teacher, but that wasn't a, a strong desire. It was actually more by the end of my time in high school, my desire, my dream was actually to plant trees in Northern Ontario um, mm-hmm. because I just fallen into a whole world of drug abuse. And so all of that was just compiling. So the kind of the vision of my life at that point was like, do drugs and plant treats. And so it was just this very like escapism. I don't want to be a part of anything that looks like normal. And so, um, yeah, so easily the, the quicker answer to that would have been, yeah, no real strong desire to be a teacher. Um, but, uh, definitely glean some stuff through my mom and, and what she accomplished through her teaching career. So that was has that's really served me now in this stage of life. So, yeah. I find it interesting because um, growing up in Alberta, people would go to BC to plant trees, but it was more mm-hmm. of a, a heart for um, the environment and wanting to see that the reforestation after mm-hmm. years of deforestation, even up north in, in northern Alberta. And yeah. yet for you, it was all about escaping. Um, mm. How did you put that together? I want to do drugs and escape and plant trees. I think what it was really tied to is like, um, I just really didn't want to be a part of the normal, like, okay. So growing up in a rural community that had was close to say Waterloo and Kitchener, you had lots of opportunities for different jobs. And, and it was that probably that stage of high school, again, a couple decades ago where there was a lot of pressure for post-secondary. And right. so it's always like, you need to do something. If you don't get some form of degree, you will fail in life, right? So I remember we just had a number of different um, instructors, people, special guests, speakers coming in and kind of giving that kind of narrative to us. And I remember just being like, this feels so not wrong, but the just for me, it just didn't feel or it felt empty. I was like, so the point is make money, get the best paying job you can do, have a family, like get married, have a family, and then accomplish what? 
And so the idea of, so that was kind of connect or there was kind of a dichotomy starting to merge in my soul where it was like all of that kind of emptiness around what, what am I going to do along with this sense of purpose, not knowing what to do, then entering drug culture, then entering going like, I'm just going to plant trees, right? Cause at least I know I'm doing something. The environment matters. I think planting trees matter. At least I know I'm doing something concrete enough that it's making some form of difference but again, still had no vision outside of that. Um, so there was probably a bit of a connection to what you just said, Holly, but mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you graduate high school, you go and plant trees? No, so I didn't do that. However, I was voted most likely to disappear. And so in high school, most likely to disappear and next be found living in a tree <laughs> on the five o'clock news. So it was just like, if if you could see me then to where I am now, you're like, this is, this was a, a young man who was just lost, mm. lost. Right. Um, and, um, had, had no clue how to figure out what life was all about. And so nearing the end of high school, I'm 18 and I'm just wrestling with all these things. So I was one of those guys who first chose drugs because it was fun. Everyone was doing it. Um, party culture, rural Ontario and bush parties every weekend, all that kind of stuff. And, um, a friend of mine who I hadn't seen in a, in a, almost a year, um, invited me out for coffee just at the local Tim Hortons. And he was like, Hey, can I, can we just hang out and grab a coffee? I'd love to share some stuff with you. And I was like, yeah, man, I'd love to hear. Like, I haven't seen you in a while. Like, I would love to catch up. And that night he actually came and he just shared about Jesus. And, uh, I was like, okay, this is so wild. Like, so he, he just sat me down and, and just started talking to me about the Bible, about, um, and just about different things of faith. But he said, really, he's like, it comes down to like three things. He was like, one, God has a purpose for you. And when he said that, it was just like, it was just like fresh bread, right? Like it was like a, breath of fresh air. Um, he's like, God has a purpose for you and he loves you. Right. And he said, and then number three, he was like, see, you can't just like believe in God. Cause I'm like, yeah, I believe in God. And he's like, it's so much bigger than that. You can't actually just believe in him. And then he, he's like, you actually have to follow him. You have to give the entirety of yourself to him. That's actually what the gospel is inviting you to do. And he said, and if you don't, you'll actually spend eternity apart from him. And I was like, you know, 18 year old guy, I was just like, oh my goodness, I've never heard any of this. And so, um, went home that night and was, and was just like, okay, like I need to really take stock of this. Like, what is this? I knew through, through what he was saying, like it marked true in my heart. Like it just, I knew there was something true about he was, what he was saying. And I knew I had to, pay attention to it. And so for about a week, I wrestled and, and thought about that, continuing just to do basically doing drugs every day. It was, um, yeah, one of the, you know, main pot dealers at the local high school, all that kind of stuff. So it was still all in that. And then the following week just hit a rock bottom and was like, okay, I like, I went to the cupboard, grabbed a bottle of pills. And I was like, today's like, I just felt so empty and was like, Today's the day I'm going to take my own life. And as I was holding the pills, I'm like, it's either this or I'm going to try this Jesus thing that my friend just told me about. And I'm going to start going to church. And uh, so that, that was like, oh, those are my options. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to at least try this Jesus churchy thing 
we'll see what happens. And so I called up my friend and was like, Hey man, like, just so you know, like I've had a really, really hard day. Like I'm, I'm at the bottom. It's, I need to either try this Jesus thing with you. Can we grab a coffee tonight? Or like, I'm actually contemplating taking my own life. And, um, he was like, absolutely. So that night met for coffee, um, and just was like, all right, man, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm in whatever that looks like I'm in. And he, so, you know, I've joked about it since, but he was like, okay, man, well, like, let's pray. And I was like, no, I don't think I need you. Like I'm, I'm, (laughs) and he was like, oh, really? And I was like, yeah, like whatever you say to do, I'm, I'm good. Like, and he's like, okay, well, I'll pick you up Sunday. I was like, wonderful. So yeah, so started going to church and, um, just like saw faith lived out. Right. Like I was just seeing people actually experience God who I just had very, very little knowledge of. And, um, it was just so special to be in a church and again, rural Ontario, listable and just seeing people with authentic faith. And through that whole thing, I just started to experience the presence of God who just started to like touch my heart. Right. And started to go like, Adam, like you, you have to give up drugs. You have to because you're, your life is worth so much more than that. And you're, you're actually selling cheap to these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I started to see the value of who I was in him, I started to like the desire and the hooks that drugs and depression, suicide had in me were slowly being pulled out until I ended up having this encounter where I just was like, okay, like I give you it all. God, you're real. I'm not going to play games anymore. I'm not going to, you know, do one foot Jesus and one but still in drugs and all that kind of stuff. He's I'm fully giving you my heart. And when I did that, he just came and like set me free, like in an instant, like it was one of those like acts two moments where his presence just came and I was completely like laid out on the ground. And I like, it, it was just like his presence and his love just captured my heart. And um, he didn't treat me like, cause I had done, bad things, right? Just in drug culture and all that kind of stuff and introduce people to drugs and, and just like him washing my heart and giving me a new, like a clean conscience was such a gift. Right. And so all of that, um, in that encounter with him, like he removed depression from my life. He, he removed drug abuse from me. Like I was just a brand new person. And, um, so all of that, Johnny, is it's a long answer, but just say, I didn't end up going to plant trees. I remember, so I'm like now this like Christian in rural, you know, small town Canada or in Ontario and just going like, Jesus is real. So now instead of going to plant trees or desiring that, I just sit in the last couple months of high school I had um, just reading my Bible and, uh, and just like all my friends going like, what is happening to Adam? Right. So, um, so yeah, never ended up planting trees, but started doing Jesus things, <laughs> planting seeds instead. Yeah, different kind of way. Right? Yeah. Because now you're doing something really incredible within your community, mm. within the province, and dare I say, across Canada, mm. uh, Disciple a City. And it's it's interesting because you're really talking to this next generation and the generation that was hurt by church previously mm. and just helping people dissect their faith, dare I say, um, uh, what's the word? Such the D deconstruction deconstruction. Thank you. Um, 
and talking about their faith in a very true, authentic way. Because when you said your friend wanted to sit down at a coffee shop with you to tell you something, here I'm thinking, suddenly you're a part of a new MLM. Because I think sometimes <laughs> that's, right? that's why people see it. They're like, oh, but it's just like, uh, it's like an MLM kind of thing. How do I talk like, about my faith? Do you want some oils? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm selling candles. <laughs> yeah. This is the best juice you'll ever have. <laughs> <laughs> you'll never need a vitamin totally. again. Totally. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> So what was that journey oh, like going from you're a new Christian, you're reading mm -hmm. the Bible, you've made this transformation. God has taken away the guilt and anything that was holding you back from serving him in a, in a moment. How did you mm. end up in the place that you are today? Yeah. So I had this really neat thing happen to me at the end of high school where um, I actually failed art, which is I guess kind of, it seems impossible, but it's not. I, I don't mean I to laugh. Johnny no, and no, you, heads both tilted the same way. We're like, uh, what? You failed. Like, art. <laughs> cause, um, largely because I was just didn't do any of the work because I would just sit in art class high. And then I became a Christian and sat in art class and read my Bible. Right. So it's just this like, just didn't do the work. So that's how you fail art for any, you know, Anyone who would like to fail art, that's how you do it. Not anymore. Um, you can't fail. They right? fail you. Oh, good. Yeah. You were born too soon. Uh, I was young. I'm just <laughs> too old now. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I had this moment where my teacher, when he told me that I'd lost my credit and therefore my diploma, he was like, so what's going on with you? And I was like, oh, like. I could tell you, like, if you've got time, he's like, I'd love to hear what's going on with you. And so I just started sharing about where I'd been and then shared about how Jesus had, tr had transformed me. And he was like, wow. He's like, I don't know where, I don't know what I think about this, but I'm glad that you're, you, you've got something, right? That you, you're experiencing hope in life, right? Um, so I go into the class and a couple of my friends were like, what was that about? And I'm like, well, I just lost my diploma, right? Like at my, I just lost my, my credit, like I failed art. <laughs> and they were like, what is happening with you? Right? And so I got to share my testimony of what Jesus was doing. And in that moment, I was like, it doesn't matter what I do in life. I'm just going to do this. Hmm. I'm just going to make him known and just share what he's done in my life. And so I just, there was like this deep confidence. It's like any, like when we start to really experience God, you sometimes you just know, and there's just these moments where you're like, it's like a signpost. And that was one of those signposts for me. I was like, I'm going to do this. That's what my life is going to be about. And so through that, um, kind of graduated high school, um, and then started working at like a, a gas bar where then all of our friends left for post-secondary. And I was now, you know, connected with a church. Um, my didn't, or my wife who wasn't my wife at the time, um, Melissa, she was the only girl my age at this church. So I was like, Hey, we should hang out. And then long story short, I was like, you're cute. And I'd love to marry you. And so we got married. Um, so I was, you know, became a Christian, um, f you know, freshly set up free from drugs, um, and married, um, within like a year and a half. And so wild. And, uh, so it's just this beautiful, just gift from the Lord. Cause my wife is incredible. And it's just one of the most consistent, 
um, people I know. So we just started praying. We got married and for a year we just prayed like, Lord, where should we go? What should we do? Like we will give you our, our entirety. Just we'll serve anywhere in the world. Um, mm. and so we just were like, just waited. And uh, after about a year, we felt through different relationships, conversations, we were like, let's join you for Christ. And so we actually served with you for Christ for 15 years then, um, helping young people discover faith. We served in local youth centers. We developed camp ministries, um, primarily in Ontario. And that then led us to do a bunch of like spiritual formation and prayer ministry, both nationally and internationally. So for about four to six years, we traveled extensively throughout the world, different countries. Um, again, just like with that one mission of like, I just want to make Jesus known and share what he's done in my life. And so, um, that's that one thing again, like that art class, that thing has just carried me through this whole wild, um, almost like 18 years now of, of ministry as a missionary. And so, yeah, wild, wild journey. I got two things. The first thing is, is I actually wrote down, did you marry your wife because she was the only one around? And actually <laughs> the answer was yes, you did yeah. marry your wife because she was the only one around. Yeah. hundred percent. It's a small town. Right. Right. <laughs> um, part two to that though, is that uh, you, you said, as you got married, you prayed for an entire year and yeah. said, we'll serve anywhere. That's mm-hmm. a scary prayer because anywhere is a lot of different places. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. whereabouts did you have a, a chance to travel to in that time? Yeah. So we had an opportunity to actually go over and help with a children's center in Sri Lanka. And so that was a really neat thing. And just go over, help te- teach English, lead worship, all of those kind of things. Um, so we were just like, there was that. There was a couple like different youth ministry opportunities um, at different churches in, li- in Listowel. But eventually that just led to uh, Wingham, Ontario, where uh, like 30 minutes down the road, even more rural than Listowel. And we served and lived there for about six years um, with Youth for Christ. <laughs> so <laughs> anywhere. Um, so we had some definitely like really unique opportunities, but just the way the Lord landed, it led to about all places, Wingham. Mm. Yeah. Which is. Just one of those wild, wild things because you're like, God, I'll go anywhere, yeah. right? And then he sometimes he's like, it's down the street. 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing though, right? I, yeah. I feel, and maybe Johnny for you as well, you think, oh, to be a missionary, I have to go somewhere. Anywhere. Mm-hmm. I have to learn a second language and get a whole list of booster shots and yeah. vaccines and just mm-hmm. to not get malaria. Yeah. Yet, God wants us to speak to those in our own backyard. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the thing that actually like captures our heart right now and is, is so why we do everything that we're doing is because so in a North American context, um, at least like Lifeway research and Barna studies show that only about 10% of North American Christians have shared the gospel once in the last six months. Hmm. Right. So when you're in countries, so since all the Wingham days, um, you know, I've been to countries like Bangladesh. Um, I have been to Sri Lanka, um, Thailand, um, then all through Central Europe. So like, uh, Slovakia, Serbia, Hungary, like those places, um, Southern Africa and realizing that like in different contexts, the church is like multiplying 
rapidly. And seeing that where you're literally seeing like thousands in China right now, there's, there's estimated between 35 and 50,000 people coming to faith every day. Right. Mm -hmm. So globally, I think it's, it's upwards around like a hundred thousand every day are coming to Jesus. Right. So that's, you know, you think acts two and Pentecost and 3000 coming to faith that day, that's over 3000 every hour that are coming to faith right across like globally. So in a North American context right now, we're, you know, post COVID you've got, you actually have a decline of church attendance, church planting, and an all time low of actual Christians sharing their faith. And um, what's wild about that is that 80% of people who are unchurched would actually be very comfortable to talk about faith or spiritual things in someone else's house or at a coffee shop or like people are generally very open. So when Jesus said like the fields are white on the harvest, but the workers are few is very, very true and fitting of our Canadian context because people are actually deeply hungry for something real. And Christians are actually not verbally talking about the one who can transform everything in their lives. And so um that's what we're like, the thing that now moves us the most is like, if we can move the needle on how many Christians are actively sharing the gospel, give them tools, give them opportunities, roadmaps, um, on ramps for them to start doing that. Um, I honestly believe we could have a transformed Canada, not out of like religion, not out of like, um, you know, Christian zeal or whatever it's, but just out of like God makes himself known through his gospel. And when we share that gospel, he affirms it. He confirms it with power, with a witness that it, it is true. It's the, this thing that happened to me in a Tim Hortons in Listowel, we've seen happen hundreds of times in our city, just when someone is courageous enough to make Jesus known, right? And you realize that God's actually moving in our nation and he wants to partner with random individuals like myself from listable. <laughs> so um, that thing, that one vision of a, of a, a Canadian church actively sharing the gospel has full on possessed our team and going like, we'll give the full resources and time of that to see um, disciples, churches right across Canada step in to fulfill the great commission in Canada more of a discussion. I mean, even between the three of us, why do you think though it is only 10% of people who have shared in the last six months? Yeah. Yeah. Is it a fear of because of social media now that, you know, we, we get, you know, mm -hmm. somebody will jump down your throat or is it, I mean, I I'm, I'm curious as to the reasoning yeah. behind it. I feel like yeah. this is long I mean, embarrassment I because of what's happening now, it, like what's coming to light. Like, Oh no, I don't want to associate with them. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's all, there's those reasons that are very social or socially kind of influenced. Mm -hmm. I think, I think what we've discovered is that Christians want to share their faith. They actually have a desire to, because they bear the image of one who gave his son. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but they don't know how. So as we've given modeling, coaching and tools and like, so essentially discipleship, we've seen, hundreds of people be launched in and actually like effectively reaching people right where um yeah so i i would there's so many reasons you could talk theology um social influence all those things but when we found as we've given those three things 
more people have stepped in because there is a real still a spiritual heart that is alive in the church in Canada um, and wants to see God move. And so when we give them those tools, um, they step into it. I feel like evangelism's changed. Am I, am I wrong? Like the heart of it's the same, but the methods feel different because you don't really go door to door. You don't hand out tracks in, mm, you know, like growing up in the 80s. And yeah, I guess, but it's just like, yeah. for me, it feels almost a little, what's the word? Not jarring or Force. scarring, but yeah, force. Like it's not authentic. It's like, here's a track. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's one of my best friends in the country who, who has a very similar kind of call and mandate to what we do. Um, actually came, he came to Jesus because he found a track in the back of a car that he had stolen. <laughs> 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 and so he, you know, stole a car and then he's starting to feel bad about it. And he's just like, Oh, I don't even know what's in this. So he just started looking in the back seat and there he found a track and decided to give his life to Jesus right there. So, um, so they work. Well, it's, I think it's this thing that we, I think what we have to rediscover is that the gospel works, right? Like it, it said, you know, personally, it set me free from drug abuse, depression and suicide, but it also sets people free from their fear of the future, right? And their anxieties and their their worries and the weights they're holding because it's not just like Christianity is not just like sin management. It's not just believe the right thing and you, something good will happen. It's actually like God himself, his power, his nature actually comes and dwells in and through us. So he actually comes and makes a full home hmm. in us. And so it's actually like the, like being born again is actually the, the start of human potential, right? Cause you're actually now un, with a, you know, using scripture with an unveiled face, beholding him being transformed glory to glory, right? So when we start to go, Oh, this actually could set someone free of their worries, their sickness, their, they actually are stepping into life through the spirit by the son to know the father boldness, I think, comes back to the Christian, right? So we're like, oh yeah, a track could work because it's not about, it's not about the method. It's about the one we know, right? And I think when we connect that piece, evangelism gets really easy again, because we're not applying a method. We're not trying to get someone to church. We're trying to help some discover that they're being pursued by someone who literally gave their life for them. And if we can make that connection, people get really fun and dangerous in their like dangerous in a good way wild in their faith yeah we're going to talk about uh your 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 whiny moments coming up and untamed Mm. obedience but you had mentioned your team your team is what your team consists of how many how many and what is it that you're doing yeah yeah so okay so we run a ministry called disciple city which primarily equips churches leaders or organizations, individuals with simple tools to share the gospel. So this year we developed this nationwide initiative called Every Disciple Sent, which is a like is events, schools, a video series, and then about 50 coaches across the nation that literally could help any church, any leader right across Canada actually develop their own missional strategy and culture to actually 
reach people with the gospel and see like the power of God impact their community. Um, so it actually takes all these tools from the underground church in China and India and different places and helps plant them in a North American context. Mm-hmm. So that team consists of about, there's seven paid staff on our Disciple of City team. And then from that, we have, again, 50 coaches. We have, we were partnering and collaborating with a couple different organizations to accomplish this massive nationwide push. So right now our, our team is helping lead. Yeah. Probably, um, yeah, 50 to 60 different people and who make up different things across the nation. So it's really, really fun. Um, yeah. So yeah, through all that, we, I, we also have some fun. I know Holly and I are going to break bread over this at some point, but we also developed a music team and a, and a small label. So we're actually releasing worship. Um, and so Disciple of City Music. So there's all these really cool things that we're just like, Hey, let's just, let's build life around this mission again, right? The Great Commission actually should be one of the greatest joys for us to fulfill. So let's build life around it and fun and family and that kind of stuff. This is the Why Me Project podcast. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Before we get into the conversation about your book, I want to hear about your Why Me moment. Mm. Yeah, so Why Me? When I think about Why Me, and I go like, oh, God, like, because for so long I've wrestled with insecurity. Right. Like I, I come from again, rural Ontario. Um, and I just never believed that my life could produce something beautiful. And so when I think about why me, I just remember like God actually, um, just even last year, he like had this time of prayer and I was just listening and he just said, like, I want to ask you, like, like, where do you come from? And then, you know, connected back to this Listowel thing. I was like, yeah, I come from Listowel. I'm an ex-drug dealer. Now I'm following you and I'm a missionary and a leader and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, it's actually not where you come from. Um, and I felt him say, go to Ephesians 1, 5. So I turned there and it says that in love, you've been pre, like, predestined to be adopted into the sonship, like into being a son. In love, you're predestined. And I was like, Oh, like I just, when I think about like, why me? I, I honestly, like I, I look at my life and go, can only think that it's just that God loves me. Right. And I don't bring any specific tools or charisma to the table, but I do bring, because of what he's done to me, I'm just like, I will say yes. Mm-hmm. I will just go, okay, if that's, if that's what it means. And it's not about reputation. It's not about a, a, I'm just willing to go, okay, if you say it, I'm going to believe it. Cause outside of that, (laughs) I mean, my life was very fruitless outside of that. Um, so yeah, why me is honestly, and as simple as it sounds is that it's when I encountered his love, it changed everything. And um, his love is both for me, but it also comes with a mission and a mandate to love others. Now mm. you can add author to your list of things oh, yeah. you've accomplished. <laughs> and author. <laughs> so yeah. I love, and now you've written a book. Uh, tell me a little bit about it. Yeah. So I wrote Untamed Obedience out of primarily just this personal challenge, you know, with this deep, kind of seated wrestle with insecurity through many years. I was like, again, I failed arts. So I was like to write a book 
would be a pretty significant challenge. And it's one of those things where I was like, I need to start to believe about myself, how I actually am hearing God speak about me. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause there's, there's one thing to, um, I remember like, it's like an old, you know, when you use a Mark Twain quote, it's extra special, right? So, um, so I remember this Mark Twain quote, and it just said like, um, the two most important days in your life are like the day you're born, the day you find out why, right? And just realizing that God is actually speaking greater things over me and therefore over all of us than what I think we Sometimes we have the courage to step into. And so writing a book was one of those challenges. I was like, I want to step into a greater understanding of who he's called me to be. And so wrote Untamed Obedience that's based around the whole, all the ideas and the stories, both biblical and historical and um, personal that have kept Melissa and I in the game, right? Because mm-hmm. we had, you know, through through now 18 years of ministry experience, we've been hurt. We've been like, there's been hard, very hard moments. It, anytime the Lord led us to a different flavor ministry, there was just significant challenges. And we just resolved that we're like, let's never get bitter. Let's not get angry. Let's let Jesus have our hearts. And so, because we know that in following and obeying Jesus, there's actually something significant that happens. And you see that both historically and biblically, when people let God say yes to his call, they actually shape history and they actually shift and, and create all sorts of both um, spiritual and social impact. And so Untamed Obedience is a book that's really out of that space of like, these are the things that have kept Melissa and I in the game to not grow weary, to not grow bitter, to go like he's worthy because when we obey him, we actually start, we actually find and discover we're walking with him. And so obedience is actually partnership with God. And so, um, yeah, it was honestly a joy and a challenge to write it. Right. So, um, just to go like, okay. Cause as, as you know, when you step out in anything, there's that moment of like, here I am mm-hmm. this. And so it was also just that moment of going like, I'm going to take that fear and just live above and through it. And so hence I wrote a book (laughs) (laughs) and honestly, I still love it. Like it's, it's my first book. I still just like, I thoroughly do love it just because I'm like, Oh, this is Melissa and I, and these are moments Mm. where we've met him and have just seen him move. It's also beautiful because you hear of a lot of people who are in full-time ministry and Mm. they feel burnt out as well. And it's hard to navigate those waters. It's, I hope a conversation that's happening more and more within the church, but I mean, yeah. 10 years ago, it wasn't, it was, no. if you're tired, then you're not trusting God enough. Yes. No. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not the case. <laughs> it is not the case. <laughs> Very yeah. much not the case. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At Adam Shepsky on the Insta S H E P S K I dot C A. Adam, it was uh, so great that we get to uh, hear a little bit of uh, your heart and your story. And thanks for hanging out with us. Johnny, Holly, this has been a gift and um, just excited for you both and just the things that God's called you to. And yeah, it was a pleasure. I like the fact that he threw out statistics because I'm a statistics kind of guy. Yeah, you But are. the one in 10 thing kind of shocked me. Yeah, I thought it'd be higher. 
especially with us, I mean, spending so much time online and there's, I thought maybe more opportunities over the last few years because you had nowhere to go. You kind of just had an audience to talk about Jesus. Yeah. And yet I guess we haven't been. It's so interesting though, because, you know, growing up, oh, we're going to go on a missions trip and you go to Mexico or we've been to El Salvador. And then you're just like, but what about the people next door? If we're to have the conversation, I wonder how many people actually really truly know their neighbors. Because I, I thought that there was something, and I'd have to ask Jeeves about it or whatever, but there were people who said that the likelihood of you, if if there was something wrong in your house, you couldn't go next door and talk to your neighbor because you wouldn't know who they were. I mean, we know our neighbors fairly well, just because same age, kids are going in the same class, same school. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, a different day and age. Let's work on this as as a mission field, but not necessarily us having to go to a Mexico or a developing country. Let's start in, in literally our own backyard. Yes. So that's, I guess, our challenge. Yeah. As he said, well, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I appreciate Adam taking some time. Thank you for listening as you do each and every week. Continue to make this grow. Like be watering seeds and plants so other people can be like, oh, Johnny and Holly. So it's not always going to be Holly and friends. Yeah, it can be Johnny and friends maybe sometimes too. I need to find friends. (laughs) Talk to your neighbor. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Edify, facestrongtoday.com. A lot of places for you to uh, download and and check us out. Absolutely. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review as we love to hear from you.